Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Sukari Jones. Sukari is a musical theater book writer, lyricist, and playwright whose musicals include Ain't Far From Home and The River Is Me, which was just announced as a selection for this year's National Alliance for Musical Theater, or NAMPS, Festival of New Musicals. She has an MFA from the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU and is a member of the BMI Advanced Workshop. We're going to talk today about colorblind casting in musical theater. Hey, Sukari. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be on this podcast. Great. So we are going to get started with our first section, which is uh, kind of get to know our guests section, um, where we ask them questions about their experience with musicals and what they like and don't like and everything. So we'll start with what was your first experience with a musical? Uh, I think my first first experience with a musical was uh, my mom playing the record of The Wiz in our um, salmon-colored shag carpet living room and kind of dancing around to it and thinking, wow, these are some really great songs. And I think there's a story that's supposed to be happening with them, but I didn't really get it. Didn't really get it. And then... um, my high school did like musicals sometimes, but I still didn't really know what they were because I was never involved in those because I was studying really hard to get the scholarships that kept me in that school. So I didn't really actually know what musicals were until college when um, my friend Gordon Leary told me that someday all the old white guys who have written musicals before are going to die and then they'll need more writers and that I could be one of those writers. So I think Dream Girls would be my first like legit musical experience. So. Okay. And how did you experience Dreamgirls? Um, I was told by my friend Ben Krause that maybe I would like musicals if I listen to Dreamgirls, mm-hmm. and that suggestion was true. So. Great. Uh, so next question is, what is the last great musical you saw, and why did you think it was great? Why did you love it? Well, I saw The Band's Visit, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. I'm super big on storytelling. Um, I'm very into kind of unadorned the human heartbeat and just seeing the insides of people and I feel like that show is very heavy. I mean it had story coming out of its eyeballs so it was exciting to see a musical that said we're gonna earn every single sung moment and you know we're really gonna look at these people and show you what's beautiful about them. Um, I like to think of story as the past and plot as the future. Like plot is this happens and this happens and this happens and story is what's happened before we've sat down in our seat. And I feel like that show is just like popping off with story. Oh, that's I've never thought of it that way. That's really cool. There you go. Um, Great. What uh, older or classic show did you see recently or experience recently for the first time? And what was your experience with that? Uh, so is like the 90s old enough? Yeah. So I recently saw Once on this Island. Mm-hmm. It's easily one of my favorite theater experiences of all time. 
um, because of the liveness of it. And it showed me how uh, we really, really, really need to be including actors of color in musical theater because all you have to do is put us on a stage and we will shine. And I just felt like I was seeing lots of people of color shining. Yeah, I love that revival as well. And that was the first time I had, well, I saw a college production of it, but uh, this was the first time I'd seen like a real professional production of it so when we were at NYU someone said I would like that show so I saw it for research at Toft Mm -hmm. um literally just to study how musicals worked and it was really a game changer wow it just showed me that I too could be you know invited to the party um still a little daunting that everyone at that point was a white writer but you know things are coming around slowly yes um, is there a musical, uh, one you saw recently or an older one that taught you something valuable about the craft of writing? Hmm. Uh, recently-ish, I saw The King and I, um, at Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm just always marveling at their lyric craft and how succinctly they can impart an emotion Um, and how simple lyrics are the best lyrics Mm -hmm. and kind of the cleverness comes in the storytelling not necessarily in like the turns of phrase or the internal rhymes those are fun too I mean I also like um, City of Angels Mm -hmm. Uh, but I just I found that show really inspiring and it made me kind of want to make sure that every lyric I write can kind of last the test of time that way since it's the thing I'll be leaving behind what moves you the most in a musical work and what are some examples of that? I think what just moves me the most on a basic level is getting to know a human being from the inside out and knowing exactly what she wants and what she dreams about and what makes her laugh and you know where she comes from, if she was popular in school, how much money she has, how much money her parents have, she had parents. Um, just getting to know what's beneath the skin of a person and then seeing them falter and seeing what they do after that Mm -hmm. um, is really exciting to me. I think representation is super important um, in general, especially in theater, because we're kind of going into the theater and sitting in a seat and looking at a box and playing a game of make-believe. And it's all a game that we do to be treated to someone showing us either a challenge to our worldview or a confirmation of something we believe. And it's so important to kind of see yourself in some way on stage so that you don't feel like a vampire with no reflection. For sure. Um, So it's so moving to me when I do get to see someone that resonates with me in any way at all. and just powerful characters who are complicated and nuanced like people are in real life. What's a musical people might be surprised to find out that you love, and why would they be surprised? Mm. I thought about this one, but it's actually kind of being born black and a woman in America, people Mm -hmm. are surprised by literally anything I do (laughs) that's not utter destruction. Mm -hmm. Like, you like fettuccine Alfredo? You speak French? You can read? Wow! So, and also musical theater in general is just mm-hmm. kind of an oxymoron. 
supposedly with um, various facets of my identity. So mm-hmm. I would say any musical people uh, would be surprised I like. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I don't know. I seem to wear my heart and my politics on my sleeve, but mm-hmm. if people didn't know me at all, I would say maybe they'd be surprised to know how in love with Golden Age musical theater I am. Mm, interesting, yeah. Uh, I very much love rules. I love structure. I love craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love history. And I love looking at where musical theater came from um, sort of as a jumping off point to where it can go in the future. Um, I'm not looking to bring back 1929 like some of my colleagues. <laughs> um, no vodka light here. But I love um, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I love the Music Man. Um, Guys and Dolls, I think, has an unbreakable book. Mm -hmm. Fiddler on the Roof. Um, Just well-made classic shows. I think people would be surprised that I actually love those. Mm -hmm. Cool. And know most of uh, the songs. Yeah. Um, So, which writers, uh, both of the past or you know, working today, do you admire most? I actually really love uh, Melvin Van Peoples with um, Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death just Mm -hmm. for being someone who realized that musical theater is a form that can and should be shaken to its core and where you can see what you can make of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Gospel at Colonus, I think, also is stretching the form. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I love Henry Krieger and um, all of his work. Well, let's move on to our topic at hand, which is non-traditional colorblind casting Great. in musical theater. So why don't you just talk a little bit about what um, drew you to this topic and uh, kind of how you want to sure. introduce it. Yeah. Um, so colorblind casting to me is when writers don't do their jobs, so I'm against it. Mm-hmm. I don't like when people say, Let's just see what happens. Let's just let's just write and see what happens. I think what's going to happen is, you know, <laughs> often it's not going to be a racially diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And then something that makes me crazy is when writers will start with the mindset of let's just write a quote unquote normal or neutral or average um, show and people it with whoever, mm-hmm. open, universal. And then it ends up just being cis white people. And then at the end, they're like, oops, I don't know how this happened. Well, let me cram some, you know, colored person in here and see what happens. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, start from the beginning. Um, An analogy I like to think of is like a show being like a cake. And if you're going to bake a cake, you start with all the ingredients at the top. Mm -hmm. Because if you start with carrots and flour and cream cheese, you're going to mostly end up with a carrot cake, not, you know, a molten lava cake. Right. And if you wanted a molten lava cake at the top, you should have, you know, thought of what was going into the batter. And similarly with writers, I think it's our job to be fully conscious of the art we're creating. I think as artists, we're curators of culture and um, group consciousness. Mm-hmm. So it's very important for us to be aware of the choices that we're making and right. own those choices. Um, personally, I like to do extensive character maps of all of my characters, and it's preposterous that you would, you know, map a person without including race. Right. It's like unheard of to me. Because um, you're saying because race informs 
the character. Race informs everything. Race yeah. is a constant subtext um, that people, I think, are sometimes afraid to approach, even though it's like fish swimming in water and not acknowledging the tide. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm against I'm against colorblind casting. I won't do it in my own work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm often baffled by it in work that I see, um, or sometimes chagrined. And I wonder why it's happening. I wonder if quote unquote token POC people are being added in to kind of make the writers feel better about themselves. Just you know, for people not as familiar with it, there's. Uh, colorblind and then color conscious casting, which mm-hmm. I think um, is is more like casting, but making sure that the the role is is taking into account the race of the character. So if mm-hmm. you do have the idea is that if you do have you know a person of color coming into a role that maybe wasn't quite written that way that. The you rewrite idea, it, or the idea. I don't know how they deal with it in the mm. room, but the idea is that the race should then inform, uh, should then inform the, you know, how it. Well, the race is always forward. going to inform the performance right. because the performer is not a robot, and they're going to bring to that role their lived life experience, which should be a boon and not seen as mm-hmm. uh, something to be feared or shamed or erased. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I feel like all casting, all performances are color conscious. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the writing that we need to right. think about. And it has to go back, it, it all has to go back to the writing and the creation. I mean, to me, you start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. What were, what was your, being honest with yourself, what was your intention with the show? Was your intention to create a world peopled by the faces that, are myriad in the world we live in, or was your intention to write a quote-unquote normal show mm-hmm. and, you know, set it in Iowa or Nebraska or somewhere mm-hmm. where you think people of color aren't, even though we're everywhere, right. and just, you know, write something universal. Mm-hmm. If that was your intention and then you got what you wanted, then there's no need of after the fact to look around confused and embarrassed. Mm-hmm. So... So let's turn to August Wilson. Let's always turn to August Wilson. (laughs) Who had very strong opinions on this as well. And uh, he had a very famous uh, address at the TCG conference at Princeton in 1996 called The Ground on Which I Stand, um, which was a long speech he gave about his feelings on colorblind casting, um, which he was also you know, very against. I'll read um, a couple quotes from that speech. Uh, One of them is, to mount an all-black production of A Death of a Salesman or any other play conceived for white actors as an investigation of the human condition through the specifics of white culture is to deny us our own humanity, our own history, and the need to make our own investigation from the culture ground on which we stand as black Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes on to say, as well, we do not need colorblind casting. We need some theaters to develop our playwrights, which mm-hmm. goes on with what you say about it, you know, starting mm-hmm. from the writing. Um, so, yeah, how did uh, you, when you read this speech, or when you heard about this speech, yeah. um, what, what did you, 
Or what did you think? Was Sorry, it? I'm smiling. I'm just so excited that there's a musical theater co- podcast. <laughs> um, the thing that resonates with me most, honestly, is his saying that we don't need colorblind casting. We need people to develop new playwrights. Mm-hmm. Did he say new playwrights or just playwrights? He said our playwrights. Well, in this quote, anyway. My version of our is new, mm-hmm. and I just feel like we really need to open up the doors mm-hmm. and um, support the new work that's really ready to come bursting out of the uh, the gates. And um, part of uh, what I'm feeling is I wonder if there can be some, some balance between revivals and new work, some balance between pop stars and musical theater writers like us who spent hundreds of thousand dollars to become scholars in this art form, Mm -hmm. but we're not being tapped to do projects. Right. I firmly believe in musical theater and in life that where there's a will, there's a way, and we have the power to shape the world to whatever we want. And my question to producers and anyone kind of in a position to decide what goes in their theater is... Are you trying to just get as much money as you possibly can from tourist dollars? Or are you trying to have New York remain the locus of exciting, um, genre-bending, consciousness-provoking theater that it's capable of being? Mm -hmm. And if so, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to invest in? What risks are you willing to take to get there? Um, and I think that if you're just going to keep doing revivals of things, then Mm -hmm. it's obviously less of a risk. Um, well, technically it's less of a risk, I think, in people who think like bankers' minds, Mm -hmm. because it's like, ah, this is a tried and true property. Let's just bring this back. And I don't know that I believe that theater is a place for people who think like bankers. I think it's a place for people who think like crazy people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I actually think it's a p- place where people who do think like bankers can go to see a show and not have to think like a banker for I agree. a few hours where they can yeah. be in the the mind, the headspace of mm-hmm. art. Um, I think theater can fill you up, and I think a lot of people think they're whole, but they're not whole. Mm-hmm. So with this speech, he was mainly, I think, talking about plays. Is there anything that's specific to musicals that he maybe wasn't considering being a playwright? Oh, interesting. Um, well, cultural appropriation comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, sure would be wonderful hearing, you know, Pacific Islanders writing Pacific Islander music mm-hmm. and, you know, black people who are gospel scholars writing gospel instead of having it be a punchline mm-hmm. um, from people who haven't done the research. Right. Um, so I think musical idioms and music as a form of culture bearing is a way that um, being cognizant of mm-hmm. heritage is important. One thing I, one part of it that I read that was really interesting to me was that he was talking about um, the different theater in the time of slavery mm-hmm. and there was one kind of theater where they were performing for the white people mm-hmm. and then there was another kind of theater where they were in their own space and they were able to use theater to um, I for, I'm not remembering the words exactly but kind of construct their identity um, and and you know 
feel their own identity, mm-hmm. um, you know, apart from. And he that's, uh, I think, where he was also going with mm-hmm. talking about, you know, what colorblind casting is. Um, Do you know the origin of the word cakewalk? Uh, I don't think so. Well... There's, what you just said reminded me like when there's a form of theater that's performed for white people and there's a form of theater that's performed for um, people in the demographic who created it or just not, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Ubermenschen. Right. Um, so Cakewalk, um, for my research, comes from uh, how there used to be sometimes these parties that white people would have, white slave owners would have for their slaves. And they would have the slaves dress up in white people clothing and come to this party mm-hmm. and pretend to be white people for the night so they could, like, point and laugh and, like, throw things. And oh, at the wow. very end, they'd have, um, like, the couple that did the best job of impersonating a white person do a promenade. And then that, as a reward, they got a cake. I see. It's also where a piece of cake, I think, comes from. Uh-huh. And it was just making me think, like... We really have to be, we writers yeah. um, of all shades and stripes need to be conscious of who our audience is. That's mm-hmm. another thing, I think, in terms of not just coloring consciousness, but I think audience unconsciousness. Right. Make a choice of who you're writing for mm-hmm. and own that mm-hmm. because e- either you're picking it on purpose or it's picked by your subconscious, but either way you've made a choice and I think it's important to have a responsibility to that choice. Um, I think everyone in every time period kind of is doomed to perpetuate the cages that we're trying to flee from, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think without knowing who your audience is, we're even more in danger of that. Yeah. But also not knowing who your character is. It's right. just you're not doing your job as a writer. Right. Um, yeah, I just think that race gender, class, education, ableism, accent, height, hair color, these are all things that you should know. Right. Because um, you have to know your person, like how, how you're sitting in front of me now and I know you and I could write you really easily actually. But I think <laughs> it's important for writers to do their jobs. Yes, for sure. Um, another question I had, um, when I was thinking about this was the idea of reviews and Mm -hmm. shows that, you know, just take songs from a show and so you don't have the, really have the context of the story or even who the character is Mm. from the story of the show, maybe from the song, but, um, you know, and I've seen some where they have people of color playing, uh, you know, these, or singing these songs of these characters who are generally, you know, written for... Uh, you know, white actors. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a difference there? And since it's, you know, t- the song is taken out. Yeah. And, uh, and is that a way that, you know, we can, you know, see these songs performed by... My super duper honest answer is I um, violently oppose seeing mm-hmm. things that are reviews or song cycles. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in story and stories that are built over um, a period of time over the whole show in, um, if not a narrative sense, some way that emotionally 
we are tracking characters and that emotion and the stakes are building over time. Right. Uh, and I find that reviews aren't concerned with that. They yeah. seem just to be like, let's sing this song now, mm-hmm. which is a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. So I don't like those shows and avoid them. Fair. I would say they're doing everything wrong. Right, right. But do you think that that fits into maybe what you know we're talking about with colorblind casting? Does that fit into that as well? Would you feel like that was also, um, you know, mm-hmm. being against colorblind casting in those senses as well? I'm against colorblind casting in general. Yeah. I'm very... It's complicated because I'm very into actors of color getting jobs. Right. Of um, course. I feel like reviews are so stupid, I would prefer to have the actors of color get the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to pick. Right, right. Looping back to the top. Yeah. Um, I think people would be surprised that I love musical theater so much because of the reason why I love it, which mm-hmm. is why, which is, just in a nutshell, um, musical theater to me is the most visceral and human art form that exists on mm-hmm. the face of planet Earth. I feel like using music is almost like cheating. Mm-hmm. You can instantly telegraph emotions and your soul to another person that you've never met um there's a liveness to it and um just something about the form that sticks to your bones that no other art form can do um it's something that engages you intellectually and also engages you on a more spiritual just gut level um that i fall in love with and i'm excited by the fact at the same time as I'm stymied by the financial blockades mm-hmm. and the many barriers I'm having trying to break in after 10 years. But as much as it's impossible, it seems, to get into, I um, am dazzled at how it remains um, in my mind, the wild, wild west, mm-hmm. where anything's possible. And I think that I'm looking forward to seeing artists like myself who are interested in lighting out into the territories. Mm-hmm. So. All right, well that segues perfectly into our, our <laughs> next section, um, which is the why is this so good section. And usually for this section, we do a specific song, but for today we have decided. I'm ruining it. We have decided to yes. do why is this so good for musical theater in general. Why great. is musical theater so good? Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so um, you have mentioned some things already about it being the visceral art yes. form. Um, I I often say visceral is my favorite word. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about about visceral and why why we're drawn to visceral things Mm -hmm. what about musical theater is so visceral well as opposed to watching Netflix where you're staring at a screen and having you know the director's cut decide where your eye is going to look at every second Mm -hmm. and kind of having it be on autopilot um, which isn't to down the film and TV industry but it's literally just not human beings that can spit on you right it's different and yeah. there's something exciting about you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, um, I think um, I always feel when I'm in a theater that I'm seeing, like, I'm seeing real people. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I literally am seeing real people, but I... And you're also seeing them yeah. do everything they're about to do for the first time this way. Right. Like, they have those lines and they have those costumes, but tonight 
is going to happen in a way that is never going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And you get treated to this live experience and you're all in the same room. It's almost like you become an organism together and feed off of the energy you create together. Um, I think the film guy, um, Roger Ebert, has a quote about how film is kind of like an empathy machine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... Musical theater is like an empathy machine on steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an empathy machine that is less a machine of nuts and bolts and more a machine of human skin that you get to slide into and kind of become for an evening. Mm-hmm. And it's otherworldly in a way. It's like yoga for your heart. Mm-hmm. It's a way to stretch and grow that you don't get to do and you don't get to use your imagination in that way. Right. It uses that part of your brain that's you know, been on time out for however many years and invites you to play again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something, I love magic, and there's yeah. just something very magical about musical theater. Yeah, one thing that um, I've been thinking about with musical theater is that I kind of, in my head, think of it as fifth dimensional theater. If you oh. think about, so like, if you think about, like, obviously there's the three dimensions of space, and a lot of art forms use that, mm-hmm. you know, theater in yeah. general is three dimensions. Yeah. Film is two dimensions, um, you know, uh, and then there's the fourth dimension of time, which, um, you know, any narrative art form will use, but a, ca- a canvas mm-hmm. will not, you know, uh, like a painting will not. Um, so, but, so theater, you know, is four dimensions, but what musicals can do is kind of enter this fifth dimension of song which kind of like goes into this um, kind of inner state of Mm. the character. I mean, not all songs are doing that necessarily in the musical, but you have these moments where you're like, you're going into this other space. I agree. I feel like song and human beings have a long-standing connection that taps into mythology. Mm-hmm. I think cavemen were singing and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Greek people were doing it. And I think there's just something natural yet unspoken and sometimes unacknowledged about how natural it is for emotion to be captured in song. Like, even I, in film, yeah. you notice, if you watch a show or a movie, there's film scoring for tons of the show. Right. And it's almost imperceptible, but if it's not there, it's almost like, well, this is unfinished or this is unnatural. And it's like we expect, and people sometimes in our heads like hear a soundtrack playing for mm-hmm. different moments. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm always confused when I hear that it's not natural for people to to burst into song. Well, those people are <laughs> the people who need to be producing us right. <laughs> to help them out. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, there's so much of the world that's not your everyday, like, literal world. There's so much happening, Mm -hmm. like, on these other levels all around you. And that includes the dimension of song that's happening. And musicals are able to to portray that. No other art form can portray that. They have a way of using the abstract or song to make things, make literal things understandable to us. Mm Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like how dreaming works. Mm. The Yip Harburg quote, that music makes you feel a thought. Oh. That words, um, I always come back to that. Words make you think, and music makes you feel, but mm-hmm. a song makes you feel I didn't know he had that quote. The thought. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. him. And, uh, yeah, so just being able to exist in that space of feeling 
ideas, feeling them viscerally. Yeah. But yeah, that is something I think musicals, um, why they are so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many little moments in musicals, I'm sure, where we feel this this is why musicals are so good. You know, mm-hmm. we fo- there's so many moments, little moments like that. But yeah. if you think about just in general, the big reasons, yeah. Yeah. I think we've covered a good amount of them. <laughs> um, well, great. Let's move on to our final section, which is called Something Wonderful. Speaking of Rogers yes. and Hammerstein and the King and I, um, where we're just going to talk about... Um, upcoming current musical theater uh upcoming shows maybe um just anything in the musical theater world that we're excited about um i am excited about playwrights horizon production of a strange loop i mean if you're not excited about that i don't know you have you should start getting excited if you're not already more power to playwrights horizons for being as good as their word and Mm -hmm. seeking out new writers and new civilizations absolutely to boldly go i Um, wish they i wish they did musicals all the time and then they would just keep doing all these but musicals are kind of like the raisins and raisin brand where they're like the special thing that's surrounded by the flakes Yes, you but would savor them. But then we just get more great musicals. Being well, maybe they'll do a season where they flip it and it's like all musicals in one mm. play. Yes. Do you hear that, Playwrights Horizon? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, flip your season. <laughs> um, but yes, definitely Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop at Playwrights Horizons, which is in the spring of 2019. We are already excited about that. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sukari. Thank you for being on the thank podcast. Thank you. Um, and uh, we look forward this to so great. your next uh, your next show. Oh, you mean first produced show? Yeah. Because you said or, that like there are some other ones. Or concert. Oh, or I see. Sure. Bless your heart. I didn't theater. know if like maybe the podcast wasn't going to come out for like twelve years, and it's like oh. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.